Is there a library, a bookstore around here where I could books on rock and roll? Rock and roll. Story's true. Well, have you read this one? Read this one. This is a story that needs to be told. These rock and rollers want something to read. Shh. Quiet, please. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project's brand new segment, Rock and Roll Librarian. With us today is our very own Shelly Sorensen. And since this is our first time together, uh, Shelly, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Okay. Hello, everybody. Um, I've been a librarian with the San Francisco Public Library for 33 years and a rock and roll fan for over 40 years. And I also enjoy playing music myself. So I'm happy to be part of this. Great. We're, we're glad to have you. So we're going to start doing these segments uh, probably once a month. And uh, we will present uh, some interesting uh, background uh, on some books, uh, a lot of things that we use for research to uh, to build our narrative. And so today, uh, Shelley, what, uh, what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about Reckless, My Life as a Pretender by Chrissy Hind. Oh, yeah. Love the pretenders. That was a favorite of mine, uh, certainly in the 80s. First of all, what, what did you think of the book? I really enjoyed the book. She's a great writer. She wrote the book entirely on her own. No yeah, ghost writer. Yeah, my understanding. No ghost writer. Very yeah. Cool. And she tells her story from her youth in uh, Akron and Cleveland. She was born in 51. And she had the the life of a, of a child in the post-war, you know, modern 50s. Uh, middle and, America. Yeah, middle America, suburban um, Ohio. And when the 60s, the late 60s hit with all that great rock and roll music hitting America, she was swept along just like all the other, many of the other teenagers in America. Tends to change lives. Yes. And she just went wholeheartedly into the whole culture following the bands around that hit Cleveland and Akron, like Mitch Ryder, David Bowie, Iggy Pop, Paul Butterfield, Jeff Beck. She followed them Went to all the concerts and just, you know, imagined herself as a as a rock musician as well. Well, some say rock and roll began in Cleveland, Ohio, Akron, not far from there. Uh, so there's no surprise that all the uh, great rock and roll acts uh, made uh, made time in Ohio. Yes. And, you know, along with all the music, of course, came the, the drugs and the changes in, you know, culture and morals. And, and Chrissy was no stranger to all of that. Well, that is the point of the show. A lot of change, the feedback loop between the music and the culture and the culture and the music. 
So uh, that's no surprise that Chrissy experienced that firsthand. That's right. She was she was really at the focal point of a lot of interesting, uh, important stuff that happened during that time. She went to Kent State uh, supposedly to be a university student, but uh, you know didn't do much studying and was actually a witness to the National Guard uh, killing the the protesters at Kent State during that time. Oh, so, oh wow, that's uh, that's a pretty huge event. Yeah. Uh, even uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young's song comes out of that, I think, Ohio. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so more rock and roll uh, influencing uh, the society. And obviously it made a, that's had to have made a big impact on her life. Yeah, she, you know, through all the excesses of drugs and alcohol and, and the people that she hung out with, she also got in, you know, with some bad crowds. I mean, the, the title is very apt because she was quite reckless in her youth and she hung out with people that were dangerous. I think I know where you're going here. Uh, there is a well-known controversy about this book. Uh, she's been on several talk shows. Uh, and of course, uh, the media tends to get to this as the uh, most important part of the book. I, I doubt that's the case, but uh, why don't you why don't you tell the folks what it's about? Yeah, I feel like she was she's been truly hounded about the two pages she wrote um, about oh, her rape. It's, it's only two pages. It's two pages of the book, and it's the you know really the thing the the circumstance that all the interviewers really want to kind of pin her on, and she has a little bit of a controversial uh, response to her rape by. Uh, a few members of this biker gang called the Heavy Bikers, which she hung out with and took drugs with and went to their clubhouse with them. And they, through threat of violence, mm. you know, forced her to have sex with them. Uh, as she characterizes it, you know, she was so loaded on quaaludes that it really didn't have, you know, much of an impact on her. And the most controversial thing, of course, that she said was that she takes full responsibility for the situation and people have interpreted that as her saying, you know, she was at fault or it was her fault that she got raped, which I don't really. So you don't, you don't think that that's really I, what she meant? No, there. I don't. I, I, she, I mean, she calls the group criminals, mm -hmm. you know, and so it's not like she's giving them a pass, but right. one, one uh, interesting quote from the book is, you can't fuck around with people, especially people who wear I heart rape badges. So, no, you know, she no. walked into this with her eyes wide open. And I think it's Dangerous you know, for her, crowd. it's a it's a cautionary tale about, you know, the excesses of drugs and how that, you know, what that does to people's uh, good, good uh, sense. Yeah, we haven't quite got to uh, the uh, the drug aspect, uh, which, you know, that part of uh, the culture, um, we haven't got to that yet in the narrative. Uh, it will obviously play more prominently in the later 60s, certainly in the excesses of the 70s and 80s as uh, we move forward. And I, I think this takes place in the, the early 70s. Is that right? Um, yeah, this would have been the early 70s. Well, one interesting thing about that, um, that scenario, though, is, is uh, on second reading, I realized that that was the basis for her song Tattooed Love Boys. Oh. So wow. it's, you know, I think that's one of the reasons she included it in the book. Well, let's play a little of Tattooed Love Boys. Twenty doors around a hot 
back and leave it to love boys I tore my knees up getting to you cause I need it Wow, that uh, gives that song a different meaning. Um, so let's move on. Where uh, where did Chrissy go from there? Well, she finally um, decided that there was nothing for her in Ohio, and she basically pulled up lock, stock, and barrel with with no you know security on the horizon, and moved to London in 1973 uh, to pursue her dream of becoming you know of, of getting into rock and finding the origin of where all the great rock and roll had come from that, you know, hit America that she was so into. Um, she slept on floors. She worked in stalls in the market. Um, she finally got a job with Malcolm McLaren and Vivian Westwood at their uh, punk shop. Sex. sex. Yes. We said that at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, met a, a host of really interesting people in the in the burgeoning punk movement like oh, uh, yeah. Sid Vicious she mm-hmm. hang out hung mm-hmm. out with Sid Vicious Steve and the Strange. Sex Pistols yep Phil Taylor from mm-hmm. uh, Lem- Lemmy oh, from and Motorhead. Lemmy from Motorhead yeah, right right uh, Mick Jones from the Clash yeah and um, you know basically uh, put put herself in all these situations where she could meet people and play with people and write her songs and she was waiting um, and searching for somebody that she could be in a band with um, that could support her, that could help her interpret her songs, that could support her in her music. And she she actually had a chance a few times to become a solo artist, and she was not interested in that. She really wanted to be a band leader, a rock singer, a guitar player, a songwriter. and Not you know, a model with a microphone. No, and not a sex object. Right, right, right. Uh, okay, so she's working at uh, Sex uh, with Vivian Westwood and Malcolm McLaren and uh, meeting some uh, pretty crazy cats, uh, many that we uh, we know and have heard of. So, uh, so then what happens? Well, she finally meets the people that she um, forms the pretenders with. And the interesting thing to me about the title of the book reckless my life as a pretender is really only it takes a long time to get to when she's a pretender um it's an interesting journey certainly and the whole the whole book she's totally reckless yeah so I've, that's I've heard not a the, part of the knock on on the book is that it's uh it's a journey to and very little of the pretenders. Right. But that's the story she wanted to tell. Maybe volume one of a May- two volume series. Could be. She has a, great, a huge career yeah, after she, that. Yeah, so does. she meets um, she meets Martin Chambers. The James Honeyman drummer. Scott and mm-hmm. Pete Farndon, I guess, would be the original pretenders. They are. And um, she credits James Honeyman Scott, uh, the guitarist, for for really putting a huge amount of energy and interpretation into her songs and really, uh, you know, making her, making the band what it was. And unfortunately, uh, while they were making the second album, he died of a drug-related cause 
And just a few months later, Pete Farndon, who's the bass player, also passed away. He was actually a true junkie. I think they dated for a while. Yeah, too. they were they were an item. Mm-hmm. Then she broke up with him while they were in the band. Mm-hmm. And then they fired him because yeah. he was a heroin addict and he couldn't pull his weight. And they thought they, they were so surprised to hear that Jimmy died of a cocaine related heart attack because he wasn't the one that was pegged to go. It was Pete because he was, you know, so heavily I, into heroin. I think I've read that it was uh, uh, a an allergic reaction to, to cocaine uh, that actually killed him. He was alone and uh, was found. Uh, yeah. um, he had a heart attack. Yeah. yeah that's, that's yeah. It was a so, sad moment in rock and roll. I remember it very well. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, the, those first two Pretender albums are just amazing. So, Shelley, let's uh, let's pick your favorite Pretender song from one of those two albums. Well, I think I'd have to choose "Stop Your Sobbing" because it was produced by my my hero Nick Lowe. Mm. He she was very fortunate actually to be friends with him. He was a prominent producer in the new music movement at that time and she talked him into um to producing the song well let's uh, play uh, a little of stop your sobbing Great choice. I, I can't think of a better song to, uh, to to get us here. So what are your last thoughts uh, on the book? Well, I, I totally enjoyed the book. And I think a lot of your listeners of a certain age range will really see themselves or, you know, see kind of a mirror of, uh, of the late 50s, early 60s, early 70s, and what it was like to be a teenager um, at that time. And for me, what really shone through was a, an admiration. What I came away with was an admiration for Chrissy of being a, a really strong woman, determined, uh, a band leader. And, you know, she went on after the book ends with the death of, of her bandmates. But um, she went on to, to make many, many more albums. And, and still is. Yeah. Yeah. So, That's I mean, I, I think I think uh, she's she's a really admirable woman and a good role model for women musicians. And actually one, one song I really like of hers from later on is pop star because she's, she's showing herself like I, I'm the real deal people <laughs> yes. and you young upstarts coming up after me, you got a thing or two to learn. Well, let's leave it there. Uh, Shelly, thank you very much. This has been great. Look forward to the next book and uh, seeing you soon. So ladies and gentlemen, Chrissy Hine, The Pretenders, pop star. Yeah. So your girlfriend wants to be a pop star And beat the charts out of me She wants to move a million units, man Probably just to prove she can And after a couple of hits 
she'll be buying a new pair of mitts. I can see just where she's heading. She's as predictable as I'm a get. They don't make them like they used to. Go get it. They don't make them like they used to. They don't make them like they used to. You should have just stuck with me. to help right the wrongs of social injustice? Oxfam America works with people in more than 90 countries to save lives, develop long-term solutions to poverty, and campaign for social change. And we do it with the help of our friends in the music world. The Beatles were Oxfam supporters back in the day. So were the Stones. And through the years, musicians and music fans have helped Oxfam push hard to work for a just world without poverty. Folks like Radiohead, Coldplay, Pearl Jam, DJ Shadow, and many, many more have encouraged their fans to join the effort. You can too. Go to OxfamAmerica.org to learn how you can help. The Rock and Roll Archaeology Podcast is produced and hosted by Christian Swain. Written by Richard Evans and Christian Swain. Sound by John Michael Berry. Playlists can be found at iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Purchase these great and important tracks. All songs, clips, and references can be found on our show notes. Please visit rnrap.com for more information.